Welcome. Welcome to the Age of Organizational Effectiveness. This is the podcast that explores stories about organizations and their performance. I'm your host, Charles Chandler. Today we're at episode 69, and the title of this episode is The Amazon Way. We have a special guest joining us today, so let's get started. And I'm now joined by John Rossman, who is a former executive at Amazon and is currently managing director at Alvarez and Marsal, which is a management consulting firm in California. Good morning, John. Hi, good morning, Charles. Thanks for having me. Uh, It's great to have you with us today. Uh, You've written a book called The Amazon Way, 14 Leadership Principles Behind the World's Most Disruptive Company. And that's going to be the topic of our discussion today. The one that I have is the second edition, uh, which came out in 2016. What's the difference between the first and the second edition? Well, I uh, I had a foreword written by another um, innovative executive by the name of uh, Terry Jones, who founded Travelocity. And there was also a, a uh, change in one of the leadership principles at Amazon. So I had to keep the, the list of leadership principles up to date. Excellent. Well, I read the book, and uh, it's, it's a great little book, uh, 14 Leadership Principles. And would you call this kind of the Bezos way? Well, I think um, separating between Jeff and Amazon is pretty difficult uh, to do. But I, I truly think that, you know, with Jeff at the helm, the organization really built around these leadership principles. And I was there for four years from early 2002 through late 2005. And at that time, these leadership principles weren't written down, but we used them every day. We referred to them. We used them to hire people. We used them in our meetings. And sometime after that, they kind of codified the 14. And so um, as I left Amazon and started working with my clients on making change happen, competing uh, digitally, I, I just saw the impact that these stories and approaches and mindsets had, and uh, that's kind of where the book came from. Yeah, I won't read all the 14 principles, but let me just uh, read out a couple. Number one is obsess over the customer, and number two, take ownership of results. Um, now, obsessing over the customer you know, is, is a great idea, but what does it really mean in practice? Well, I think it's it's really about building customer empathy and deep insights to the customer. So typically that's broader than just, you know, your product or your service in understanding uh, the customer. It means having good segmentation um, of the customer and personas of your customer, and then really figuring out how do you put instrumentation and metrics in place to really understand the customer and the customer experience. And so, you know, and finally, obsession means you're willing to do really hard things in order to improve that customer experience. And that's why I think the word obsession is so real and so critical in that leadership principle. It just it's really about putting the customer first and truly understanding them and being able to do do hard things and to invent on their behalf. Is it similar to the idea of doing what's best for the customer and trying to step into the shoes of the customer in a way and think as they might have to think, trying to navigate through the process? 
Yeah, I think it includes all of those things, but I think that word obsession kind of takes it to the point of where like this is the number one, two, and three focus, right? And it ties closely to some of the other leadership principles, especially around having a long-term vision and not being willing to compromise for short-term results. And so again, I think when you are obsessed with something, you're willing to do really hard things and kind of unnatural things in order to achieve uh, that outcome. And so I think it's just a stronger, different word um, than being customer focused or putting the customer first. Yeah. And I noticed uh, elsewhere in the book, uh, you talk about, you know, kind of a self-service principles because Amazon is running 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all over the world on the web. Uh, and the customer, whenever they enter the process, needs to be able to get their stuff done without having to uh, refer back to help or to customer service, you know, that would uh, get them out of a jam. Is that also another driver that's key in in the Amazon way. It is, and I think it really builds off of leadership principle number three, which is invent and simplify. And I think what's most interesting about that principle is that the word simplify is as important as inventing. And so making things simple and intuitive and obvious is actually really, really hard to do, right? It's it's easier for you to kind of just deal with, let your customers deal with complexity and jagged edges. But to really make something simple is 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 elegant, right? Like those are elegant solutions. And so the whole goal of self-service is really trying to abstract out complexity and make it as easy as possible for your customers. Your customers typically truly don't want to have to talk to you unless they want to about something. And so making things self-service is both critical for customer satisfaction as well as for operational effectiveness because those contacts drive a lot of costs within an organization. Let's go back just a little bit to the beginning and talk about what is Amazon. Is it a platform? Is it a retailer? Is it a conglomerate? Or is it a sort of mini tentacled monster, depending on your viewpoint? And, and who do they compete against in a way? Yeah, well, I think the I think it was the third term you used is the right one, which is they're a conglomerate organization, right? So they started off as as a retailer. They have a big marketplace business, which is the business I launched and scaled at Amazon. They have a big technology business called AWS, which is the leader in cloud computing. They have a device business. They have a content business. They have a logistics business, and they have many other businesses underneath that. For example, I use the self service publishing platform called CreateSpace to do my books. And so, um, but these these conglomerate businesses typically have leverage and connection with each other, right? And so they describe that via the, the flywheel of their business, which is basically the virtuous cycle of their business. And, um, and they're first and foremost kind of inventors and explorers and a technology company. And it just happened that retail was the first business that they focus on, but it certainly isn't the last, as I think that we've uh, seen evidence to. I think they started off in books. And of course, even now, as we, as we were recording this, it was announced that uh, Amazon is buying Whole Foods uh, Market. So why did they start in books, would you say, at the beginning? 
Well, um, Books has a unique um, set of inventory attributes. First of all, they're easy to to identify because of an ISBN number, but also there's a huge catalog of books. And, and so by having all the books online, you immediately have an advantage over any physical retailer who can't possibly carry the huge selection of books that are available for customers. Plus they're relatively easy, um, uh, to ship and transport. And I think those were some of the attributes that drew Jeff and Amazon into books as their first category. Um, I helped launch Amazon into many other categories. We led the apparel launch, the sporting goods launch, the food and gourmet launch, the um, uh, home launch. And so we really used the third-party selling platform as the platform to launch Amazon into many other categories in 2003 and 2004. So as you're launching these other things you mentioned – and you're, you're bringing in third parties, Amazon in a way acts as a platform then so that these third party retailers can uh, access the web in a way that they couldn't before worldwide. Would you describe it that way? Uh, yes. So this, this program, the marketplace business at Amazon, lets third party sellers sell to Amazon customers and to fulfill orders and delight customers as though Amazon, the retailer, was do, was doing it. And so instead of being vendors to Amazon, they are the seller of record. But but the complexity and the trust is abstracted from the customer, and Amazon event essentially owns the customer relationship and and um, owns that customer trust. And so today, over fifty percent of all units shipped and sold at Amazon are third party units. Um, obviously, retailers can have their own website, but they have the difficulty of drawing customers into that and providing as good of experience. And so it's a great model for Amazon and has led them into, into many new categories as a retailer also. What sorts of third-party retailers would find this attractive? Yeah, there's there's over three million third-party sellers on the marketplace, and they range from you know small individual sellers who they either buy and resell a product or they create a private label product to big brands, big apparel brands, big sporting good brands. And so um, you name it, and the brand is probably there, either represented by the brand owner or represented by another third-party seller who's arbitraging that product. Jeff Bezos is still the biggest shareholder in Amazon. And because he owns more than, let's say, 50% of the stock, Amazon has a certain freedom to act with the stock and with the market that other firms on Wall Street uh, have difficulty doing. And it gives them a certain freedom to not have to worry about the short-term results. Do you think this is one of the factors that has led Amazon to be somewhat um, uh, unconcerned about, uh, uh, let's say, its stock price and its um, short-term results, but it's looking more for the for the long term. Yeah, I think certainly uh, Jeff's role in the organization, including his ownership, is a factor in letting Amazon um, play the long game and to focus on a number of things. But they do focus on results. Now, you know, the stock price is 
rarely a, a good short-term indicator on how any company is doing, but over the long term is a good evaluation of the value and um, the returns that uh, an organization is, is making. And, you know, Jeff has always said from the very first shareholder letter in 1997 that, you know, they are in it for the long haul. They're going to make unconventional bets and investments. They're not going to sacrifice for short-term results at the at the cost of long-term value creation, they're going to prioritize free cash flow. They're going to invest um, bigger than most companies would, and if you're not um, if you're not in for that, then this probably isn't the right company or the right stock for you to invest in. And I would highly recommend reading the Amazon shareholder letters. I think they are some of the best reading about the future and about competition um, that you can you can get your hands on today. The thing about free cash flow, I, I also noticed that uh, mentioned in your book, um, how does that really drive what Amazon does from day to day, would you say? Well, you know, there's lots of different accounting methods that you can put into your analysis, but free cash flow um, is a focus on, you know, the actual cash that is generated versus adding depreciation, adding tax allowance, adding a bunch of overhead and everything. And so it just helps them um, in both specific projects that they're thinking about, investments they're thinking about, as well as how they look at the progress and the results of the organization. It just gives a different point of view. It's just not a a gap or a generally accounted accountable principle accounting principle uh, way of looking at accounting but a lot of big investors um, and most private equity firms look at free cash flow and EBITDA um, as the ultimate measure of of enterprise value uh, going back to the second principle which we mentioned earlier take ownership of results what would you say counts as results how would you describe the results that um, this principle is is trying to focus on? Well, it's situational, and it could be any of those things. But oftentimes, it's it's you know units or business results. But oftentimes, because Amazon is always launching and improving new capabilities, it's about getting those capabilities um, done and launched and new work done or meeting an operational threshold, you know, like 99.9% on-time shipping. And so one of the things Amazon does extremely well is they gain clarity before they launch into a new project or into a new initiative, and they gain clarity for what are the outcomes that they're looking for from specific teams. And so those results are well understood, and how they're going to measure them is well understood before they get going. And so, you know, any of those things can be the types results that are looking in it's very situational i noticed in your book uh high high standards is one of the things that jeff um, requires tell us a little bit about how that works within amazon well you know high standards reflect on many aspects of you know being an employee and being a manager at amazon and that mean that means about you know meeting and hitting your commitments it's a it oftentimes refers to building a strong team, but it ultimately kind of gets back to those results. Are you delivering the results um, that are expected? And high standards are about both how you conduct yourself as well as what you expect from your team and, and teams that you work with. And um, one of the things I would say about Amazon is that leaders understand details in their business 
to a far deeper degree than than leaders that I see in other organizations. And I work across a wide variety of organizations. And the way that they're able to do that is really because they they build the business around this concept of metrics and instrumentation. And so everything is is being measured. Everything spits out data so that they can have far deeper understanding of, you know, what are the metrics, the cycle times, the cost, and where error and issues coming so that leaders can understand far deeper um, what's going on within their organization. And, and that's one of the big aspects of having high standards. If you were a retailer out there that was trying to compete with Amazon, what is the, what is the thing that should go through your mind? And how do you, let's say, prepare uh, either to work with Amazon or to compete against them? Well, I I think it's really the same whether you're a retailer or any other business, which is first and foremost, it starts with know thy customer, like deeply understand the value proposition and your customer and why they would pick your product or your service versus their other alternatives. And I think another thing um, to compete with Amazon is you have to have differentiated product, um, differentiated products or differentiated services. And I think making them self-service, highly reliable um, and a great value is another winning recipe. Um, I think companies like Amazon have have changed the bar as far as customer expectations for you know, ease of shipping and transparency of shipping, availability price, um, and, and, and a guarantee kind of a no hassles guarantee mentality that if there's an issue, you know, we trust the customer's perspective first and foremost, and we do what it takes to get it right. You touched on the flywheel effect a little bit earlier, but, um, tell us a little bit more about that. Um, it seems to be one of the key things that as Amazon has, has grown over the years, uh, really uh, keeps it in the forefront of, of what it's doing. Yeah, so, you know, there's an original Amazon flywheel, and a flywheel is just a simple systems dynamic view of a situation of a business, of an industry. And basically, Amazon's flywheel has the customer in the center, and then with great selection, great prices, adds to that customer experience, creates orders, and keeps the flywheel going and it allows Amazon to lower their cost structure. That was the original flywheel. Since then, I think it's really evolved, right? So things like Amazon Prime and Amazon Video Content and the Marketplace um, have added to that flywheel. And now they have new businesses like AWS, which is the cloud competing business, which has its own flywheel. But a flywheel is just a great way to understand and articulate the competitive environment in which your company resides and to help build a strategy and rationalize how am I going to get, you know, ultimately with a flywheel, you want a virtuous cycle, which is a, a business cycle that that grows and feeds itself versus a vicious cycle, which means you have to continually invest or, or you're not creating positive momentum in it. And so in any business, you want to figure out like, how am I going to over time create the virtuous cycle and positive momentum in my business. You mentioned in the book uh, the Holy Trinity, price selection and availability. Why are those the, the key components that, uh, that drive things in Amazon? 
Well, so that's specifically referring to to the retail business, and you you know, um, Jeff um, talked a lot about that. You know, he couldn't imagine a world where a customer would want uh, less selection, higher prices, or or slower delivery. That those that having more selection, lower prices, and faster delivery is a will be a constant and forever customer desire. And so he was doing a lot of investments around those those three areas. How do I create more selection? How do I drive costs lower? And how do I create faster and more flexible delivery? And I think in a lot of businesses, there are kind of those golden assets and those long-term durable customer needs. Those, those three customer needs are Amazon's what they view as their durable customer needs, but other customers and other businesses are going to have durable needs. And so while the investments and the things you're doing may change over time, being oriented to those long-term customer needs helps create vision and ownership for the organization. Well, John, we've talked about and mentioned specifically two or three of the principles out of the 14. Um, We're running out of time a bit, but What would you like to leave our audience with in terms of what we haven't talked about, but that kind of closed the loop on the Amazon way? Well, I think I think two things, Um, you know, another one of the leadership principles is having a bias for action. And I see too many organizations that because of either their organization structure or because of a lack of good orientation to risk taking and moving things forward, they study and study and reach, you know, paralysis through analysis. And you do have to have a bias for action in driving improvements and improving for the customer. So that would be uh, one thing. But I think Amazon is a company and a culture that most every team and company can learn from, um, whether it's about creating operational excellence, innovation, um, using data and metrics to drive the business, how to truly obsess about your customer. Um, they're an organization to keep your eye on, and every leader in every industry can learn from them. You have uh, two books actually out there now, uh, the uh, Amazon Way and then the Amazon Way with the Internet of Things. We don't have time to get into the second book today, but would you like to just uh, tell us a little bit about why why the second book uh, adds to the first one? Yeah, so the Amazon Way on IoT, 10 Principles for Every Leader from the World's Leading Internet of Things Strategies, helps a business leader answer the question, what should my IoT strategy be? And Amazon uses sensors and the Internet of Things in their business in so many different ways that those principles or those approaches can help other leaders answer that question, what should my IoT strategy be? And that's what the book helps a leader do. Okay. Where should people go to to find more about you and uh, your offerings um, so that uh, they can zero in on some of these principles in more detail? Yeah, so we've got a great um, offer for the listeners. So if you go to johnrossman.com slash organization, I've got a free um, chapter from each one of the books plus a, a poster that's a visualization of the 14 leadership principles. And the books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at, of course, amazon.com. Excellent. Well, it's been a great pleasure to have you with us today, John. Uh, all the best with uh, sales on the books. And uh, we'll have you back again uh, in the future to talk about something else. Perfect. 
Thanks a lot, Charles. And that's about it for today. We'll have links to the things that John mentioned in the show notes. Join us again next time as we again explore stories about organizations and their performance. Meanwhile, you can explore other podcast episodes in this series at our website, ageofoe.com. So long for now.